If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we'll be beginning in verse 5 this week. We left off in verse 5 last week, but we said we weren't through with the comments. We pick them up again today, and so we shall. Verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. With all your heart means every bit of the portion of your insides that tell you what to do. Your instincts, your very motivation should be motivated to follow the Lord. With all your soul means even up to the point of death. And with all your strength, that is all the increase that the Lord gives you. And we looked last week at several comments on this. We looked at Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. So let's just turn there real quick. Matthew 22, for those people who weren't here last week. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Those who were could just get a cup of coffee. 37, 38. Yeshua said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The significance of this, of course, is so many people say, Wayne, the commandments, there's only ten. But when they ask him which is the greatest commandment in the law, he cites one from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and one from Leviticus chapter 19, none from the Ten Commandments, which tells us that all of the Lord's commandments are Torah. They're all law, not just the ones. And then we turn to John 14, 15. Let's go there. John 14, 15. There's people out there now going, hey, wait a minute. That's your website address. Yes, it is. And that's because of what the verse says. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, people go, yes, Wayne, but that's only talking about the commandments Jesus gave. It's not talking about God's commandments, to which I go, Let's keep reading. Yeah, verse 24 says, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and what you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He says, My words are not different. I'm only speaking that which the Father gave me. But can I prove it? The answer is yes. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. That was another thing that Christine Dark pointed out this morning. There's so few, even evangelical pastors, that will say that Yeshua is God. Well, what does John 1 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, it sounds like evangelical is a misnomer. It sounds like evangelical is a misnomer that it's kind of passed into a new meaning from what it did originally. Yeah, I agree. But 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And what? Keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now with that in mind, go back to verse 5 of Deuteronomy. And notice it doesn't say, this is how you love God, by keeping your man-made traditions. Right. It doesn't say this is the way you love God by keeping your man-made traditions, your man-made rules like Christmas, Easter, etc. I mean, like, that's what the world thinks. Like, if you don't 
don't keep Christmas, oh, you don't love God. That's what the world thinks. If you don't keep Christmas, you don't love God. Do you realize that on one of the Jack Van Impey shows many years ago, Rexella at the end said, if you don't celebrate Easter and Christmas, you're not a Christian. I wrote Jack. I wrote Jack. And he wrote back and said, she did not say that. <laughs> it's on tape. I said, go watch the tape. But what he, what he meant was she didn't mean that. Maybe she said it, but she didn't mean that. So, okay. At any rate, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter five, 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does it mean to love the Lord your God according to the scripture itself? is to keep the commandments. But notice chapter 6, verse 1 begins, now this is the commandment. As we continue to go through chapter 6, it's going to use that same phrase over and over again, the commandment. As in, you can't take the commandments of God and separate them and pick and choose like a buffet and make a legalistic salad. When you do that, you're making your own law, your own commandments, your own Torah. And we know from Mark 7 and Matthew 15 that that's a bad idea. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. <coughs> know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. And notice that the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton. He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with. Remember Daniel talking recently, that's what do we call a what? A qualifier? With those who love him and keep his commandments. And those two verbs, love and keep, are what did he tell you? Participles. So it should be who continue loving him and continue keeping his commandments. But look at verse 10. He repays those who hate him to their face. Ooh, ooh, we're going to have to talk about that in a while. But first, Deuteronomy 10. That word hate is also a participle. That word hate is also a participle, yep. So it's not just like a one-time thing. It's like those who have that lifestyle. Yeah. Those who are unrepentant would be a good way to put it, perhaps. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but? What's that word but mean? This is the, well, what God requires. This is how you do it. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What's that word serve? You're a servant. The servant of the Most High God. Hmm, that's going to come up again and again, isn't it? With all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that I command you today. What are those last three words? For your good. Does God give us the commandments to enslave us? That's what people teach. But what does the Bible say? They're for our good. They're for our benefit, aren't they? For instruction in righteousness. Why didn't Paul say that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? Ah, but of course we know that he did. 
Deuteronomy 13. This is quite a theme in Deuteronomy. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. What does it mean to hold fast? Does that mean to get a high five as you walk by? It's the grasp to cling to and never let go, right? Never let go. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy contains all of the commandments, statutes, and judgments that apply to each and every one of us. And what do you see over and over and over again is that we do it out of love. So the New Testament in John 14, 15 and 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 to 3, they were not taking anything out of context. They were not introducing something new. They were telling us that what you've heard from the beginning still applies because God does not change. In Deuteronomy 30, let's look at verse 6. This is the promise of the last days when the Lord brings Israel home and brings them into the kingdom. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Remember that phrase, circumcise your heart, because it's going to come up very shortly in Deuteronomy 6. And the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Wait a minute, earlier in Deuteronomy it said, for your good. And now it says that you may live. Are those two phrases in opposition? No, they're in perfect harmony. Would you like to live with the Lord your God throughout eternity? Then love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your increase. Same chapter, verses 15 to 16. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 16. She has set before you today life and good, death and evil. Are those two separate sets of choices? Or is life and good the same as death and evil? They're not the same. They're opposites. Life is good, death, evil. So it's like Moses is saying, put out two hands. You want to live? Follow God with all your heart. You want to die? Do what you want. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you on the land which you go to possess. But what came first? Love, then comes obedience. That order has never changed. Go to Joshua. When we come to Joshua chapter 22, Moses is dead, buried. Nobody knows where except the Catholic Church because they built a church on the spot. Oh, yeah, okay. 
In Joshua chapter 22, Moses is dead. Joshua has led the children of Israel by the word of God across the Jordan River into the promised land. And what does he tell them? Verse 5. But be careful, right? But take careful heed. That means to be careful. To do the commandment. Is that commandment plural or singular? Singular, just like Deuteronomy 6. And the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God. There you go. You start with love. Then to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Means with your very life. Then the next chapter of Joshua, chapter 23, verse 11. After he tells them that the Lord your God has driven out from before you great and strong nations. And that he would continue to support and defend Israel. Joshua says in verse 11 simply. Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. And verse 12 says or else. But that's enough to know or else. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Does it say, in these commandments which I command you today? No, it says, in these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Does it say, in your heart? The Hebrew says, upon your heart, as in written upon. That's the promise of the new covenant. But see, this was always God's desire that the people would write the commandments of God upon their hearts. That it would be their desire, their very will to follow him. It would be their reason for living. And now what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, what is man's all? Fear God, Fear God and keep his commandments. Now verse 7 is an interesting verse. Not that the others are not, but this one's really cool in the Hebrew. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. See that word diligently? It's not diligently. It's incisively. What does it mean to incise? It means to cut. What does circumcision of the heart mean? It means cutting away the flesh. So he didn't say circumcise the flesh of your body. He said circumcise your heart. And the way you circumcise the heart of your children is by teaching them the commandments of God. Once a week for a half hour? No. It says when you sit in your house... When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Summarize that. When are we supposed to be teaching our children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Only day and night. Other than that, no worry. Constantly. Why? Are we afraid the children might forget? They will. 
teacher yeah. One thing I want you to notice, so I won't keep saying it over and over again, you see how it says, you shall teach? That's written like it's a commandment. It's not a commandment. It's simply an instruction, an encouragement, that if you will do this, there will be great benefit. Okay. Yes? Um, does that, does that uh, sort of relate to the scripture in the New Testament talks about the washing of the word, the cleansing of, uh, of you know, I think it talks about the husband and wife relationship where you know, the, the washing of the word is presented to the yeah. It, it's, it's similar to what we're talking about. How do we encourage each other to stay right before the Lord? Is it by watching dirty movies? No. It's by studying the word of the Lord together. I wish every husband and wife would be on the same page and would want to worship the Lord with all their heart. But show it's not always the case. There are a lot of families that are divided where one spouse wants to follow the Lord and the other says, I'm not interested. And that causes great pain. Deuteronomy 6 verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. The English translates it as though that's a commandment to do that. It's not. Again, it's just an encouragement. But you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. What custom of the Jewish people comes from that verse? The tefillin, where they take a box, put the words in it, and strap it to the arm and to their head. Sign your hand, they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Did God mean us to do that physically, or is this a spiritualized type saying? Let's look at Matthew chapter 23. What's that? It uses the word as. Uses the word as, meaning like. Uh huh. Let's go to Matthew 23. Like keeping it in the forefront of your thinking and your doing. As you think, as you do, keep the commandments of God right there in front of you. Let's go to Matthew 23. Is there anything wrong with binding the tefillin? Of course not. Unless you do it to be seen by men. Yeah, the purpose of the seat seat are there to be a physical reminder of the commandments of God, yes. Let's go to Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, but the key verse is verse 5. Watch for verse 5, Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Then Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. This is where they're reading the Torah scroll from the Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that is, that they're reading from the Torah, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, their man-made rules, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments." So they're doing it not to please God, but to please men. But notice he doesn't rebuke them for wearing them, right? They love the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. That is, they love to be honored. Greetings in the marketplaces and be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. 
But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Messiah, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's go back to Exodus 13, where we see language like Deuteronomy again, but in a different context. Exodus 13. You've noticed that the Lord doesn't call his commands burdensome. In fact, he says they're not burdensome. But he says the Pharisees' commandments are burdensome. Right. How did that get transferred over to God's commandments? By people who said doctrine takes precedence over Bible. It says clearly right here, they bind. You're absolutely right. Exodus 13, verses 3 to 10, the key verse is going to be 9. Exodus 13, 3 to 10, the key verse will be 9. Let me give you a chance to find it. I have a feeling I'm going a little too fast. Let me slow down. Would you believe even down in Texas, one of the first things they said was, yo, slow down. Okay. (laughs) I get excited. Exodus 13, verse 3. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt. This is the time of what? The Exodus. Out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Aviv. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's the land we call today Israel, by the way which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. What is? Celebrating the Passover. Do we put a Passover lamb upon our head and our hand? No. It's what? It's your actions and your thoughts. But notice it's the same words that the doc pointed out. As, which means like. A sign to you on your hand and some memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law, the Torah, may be in your mouth. With a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Yeah. It says the Lord's law may be in your mouth, and this is before Exodus 20. And you rarely see anybody walk around with a Torah scroll in their mouth, right? <laughs> So some things are meant to be literal, and some things are not meant to be quite as literal. I agree with Daniel. It's talking about what you do before you do it. Think about God's commandments. And when you purpose in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. Keep God's commandments in mind. Might it keep us from going either to the left or to the right, and therefore going astray?
So back to Deuteronomy. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is the Hebrew word for doorpost? Mezuzah. Or plural, mezuzot. We put a mezuzah on our door at home. Is it a commandment? You shall write them. No, it's not a commandment. And again, it can be taken literally, but the more important meaning of it is, let the Lord's law be in your house. Let it be what guides your conduct at home as well as when you're out. Do I put a mezuzah on my door at home? I do. Why don't we have mezuzah on the door here of this building? Because we don't own it. It's not our building. That's right. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9 and 11. You guys say, but that's right where we are. Yes. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 is the first thing that goes in the mezuzah. That's what's written on the scroll. And also, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 21. That little piece of paper inside, that's what's written on it. Verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. In other words... When God does his part of the promise, then you'll do your part. When did God promise that they would come into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where were those promises? Way back in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 to 8. God made the promise to Abraham. He made the promise to Isaac. He made the promise to Jacob. He did not make the promise to Ishmael. He did not make the promise to Esau. Ishmael and Esau were given their own lands, but not the land today we call Israel. Genesis 15, verses 7 to 8. says, Then he said to him, he being the Lord, him being Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. To inherit it means as an eternal possession. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What's that mean? What's the sign? What's the sign? So what does the Lord have him do? Bring in the animals, cut them in half, and God makes a covenant. How does Abraham know God will keep his word? He makes a covenant and seals it in blood. Same chapter, verses 18 to 21. God is more specific about which land. Because from what we saw earlier in Genesis 15, he could be talking about America. But he's not. Verses 18 to 21. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Has Israel ever had all that land in their possession? Not yet. But since God's word can't fail it means they will. 
the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Why is God wanting to drive these pagan nations out of his land? I just said it. He told Abraham his descendants had to go down into Egypt to be a stranger in a strange land until the sins of the Amorites were complete. And when the sins of the Amorite get so bad that God can't tolerate him in his land anymore, he literally spits them out, as he describes in Revelation chapter 3, about the church of Laodicea. So the promise was made to Abraham and to Abraham's what? Descendants. But he had many descendants. To which line? We have to go to Genesis 26. Verses 3 and 4, Genesis 26. From Abraham, the promise passes to Isaac. But to Esau. Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4. Lord says to Isaac the following, Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Now make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And yes, that was before Exodus 20. How long have God's commandments been around? From the beginning. Yeah. So we know it's to Abraham, we know it's to Isaac. How do we know it went to Jacob and not to Esau? Let's go to chapter 28, verses 13 to 15. This is about Jacob. And in Genesis 28, verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So not only did the promise of the land pass from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, but also the promise of Messiah passed from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. How do we know God kept his promise? Go to Joshua chapter 24. Verses 12 to 14. Joshua chapter 24, verses 12 to 14. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites. Talking about who? Sihon and Og. But not with your sword or with your bow. I've given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. And you shall dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve 
the Lord. So how did the Lord drive out the Amorites? He used hornets. Pretty he did. Good way to do it. Yeah. Pretty good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's those hornets that are about three inches long. Was it literal hornets? Yeah, literal hornets. Yeah. We have had some hornets on our back porch this last year that were literally that long, orange with, with stripes. Oh, my. If you saw millions of those coming, I, I think I'd run, too. Yeah. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That was verse 10. To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. But it continues in verse 11. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. In other words, when the Amorites ran away, they left the furniture, they left the clothes, they left the pots and pans, they left everything behind. Yeah, they may have left their idols too, but what was Israel supposed to do with those? Yeah, we're going to read about that in just a moment, what to do with those. Mm-hmm. Eyes full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, uh-oh, then. Then's in italics, it's not really there. Beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The warning is, it's easy to trust God when you're in the wilderness and there's no food and there's no water except that which comes from God. But when you are comfortable and you have everything you could possibly want or need, it's easy to let the mind wander and let the heart forget God. And that's the worry. So let's go to Deuteronomy 8.11. You know what it says. But we're going to read more than just verse 11. We're going to read down to 20. Hey, Wayne, what's interesting, that word beware. That word beware. It's a command form. It's a command form. Of the Nephal form of Shamar. Of the Nephal form of Shamar. Be, be guarding of yourself. Or be, be careful. Be guarding. Yep. In other words, guard your heart. Do not let it go astray. Mm-hmm. And in Deuteronomy 8.11, we always read verse 11 and stop there. This time we're going to go on. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, meaning unless. When you have eaten and are full, talking about the crops they didn't plant, the vines they didn't grow and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them when you get comfortable and life is good and easy when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied meaning now you're comfortable and even on the side of wealthy when your heart is lifted up what's that a term for pride And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt into the house of bondage, who led you through with great and that terrible great and wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that they might humble you and that they might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power 
and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall what? Surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So what is the worry? That when they're poor and hungry, they'll forget God? No, when they get comfortable and wealthy. What's that, Dana? Wade? Yes, Michael. I uh, have often found when I read this passage, it reminds me of a blessing I had from the very beginning, which was to acknowledge God in the good times as well as in the bad times. Right. I give him all the credit for every job I've ever had, including the one I have now. And it's been such a blessing to be completely aware that the good things come from the Lord. And that uh, I think it's directly related to the passages in the Bible about how difficult it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God yeah. because we are so... Uh, fat and happy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that we lose sight of where the goodness comes from. Right. Very good, Michael. Now let's read on in the scripture and see what happened. Let's go to Judges chapter 3, verse 7. When they got comfortable, when things got easy, life got easy. Judges 3, 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Would you believe that in the northern kingdom of Israel, after Israel split, when God would bless them and the crops would come in bountifully, they would go give an offering and thanks to Baal and Ishtar. And they would do it year after year until God finally said, i got to quit blessing you. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah 3.21. start in verse 18 for context to give you the background in those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I've given as inheritance to your fathers that promises a restoration but God explains why that restoration can't be now verse 19 but I said how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. 
A voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. What caused them to come to the point that they would turn away from God and turn to pagan idols? They got comfortable and stopped keeping the commandments. They felt like, we don't need God's blessing. We can do this ourselves. Look how good farmers we are, how good the crops are. We did it. What happens when we start saying we did it? Then the crops stop growing. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 25. God promises to scatter Israel into captivity because they've turned away from him. It says in Jeremiah 13, verse 25, This is your lot. The portion of your measures for me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. What does he mean by falsehood? He's talking about the lies of idols. Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel 22, verse 12. I think you guys know where we're going. If any of you are as old as me, you remember back when we used to be able to read the Bible and pray at school? But what have we been doing ever since then as a nation? Have we been turning away from God? Have we been removing him from society? When the planes hit the Twin Towers, the nation cried out, God, help us, defend us. And two weeks later, you get fired if you mention him at work. Ezekiel twenty-two twelve. In the day they take bribes to shed blood, in you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Back in the 60s, what was the most prosperous nation on earth? America. America. What did all the other nations want to be? America. And how did we respond with this great wealth and might and power that God had given us? We turned him away, right? We turned him away. And what's happening to America now? The greatest debtor nation in the world. Have you been to the grocery store lately? It's only going to get worse. What's a pack of toilet paper running now at Walmart? We were just there. 20 to 25 dollars <laughs> with that we're going to go back to the scriptures go to Ezekiel 23 verse 35 I open myself up too often Ezekiel 23 35 therefore thus says the Lord God should be my Lord the Lord because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back Therefore, you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. Uh, give me the verse again, please. Verse 35, Ezekiel 23, 35. 
Have you been watching the news lately? Russia is now helping Syria to rebuild something. Do you remember what? The ancient temple of Baal. Yeah, the ancient temple of Baal in Palmyra. Isn't Syria supposed to be part of Egypt, Egypt and Israel? A bit after. Yeah, but that's going to be after the Battle of Gog and Magog. They're going to have a big one to destroy them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Yeah, we should keep our eyes on Syria. Yeah, I have a feeling something bad's going to happen to Syria one of these days real soon. Hosea chapter 2, verse 13. I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Isaiah 65, 11. I shouldn't throw this one in, but I'm going to. I'll just pay for it later. Isaiah 65, 11. But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for Mani. Therefore I will number you for the sword. The celebration of Gad and Mani took place December 25th. The celebration continues. It's just been renamed. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Oh, are you kidding? That wasn't the end, was it? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. There's more. You shall fear the Lord your God. Is there a period? No, there's an and. And serve him. And you shall take oaths in his name, meaning not in the names of other gods. Shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Let's go to Isaiah 56. To serve means to be his servant. What did Isaiah 56 say about the Gentiles who want to come into the Messianic kingdom? They'll be keeping Sabbath for sure, but they will be servants of the Lord. What if they don't want to serve the Lord? They don't have to. But they will be coming into the kingdom, according to Scripture. Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8. Also the sons of the foreigner, these are not Jews, who join themselves to the Lord to what? To serve him. To serve comes from the word to work. To do as you're told. To follow the commandments. And to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. As if we didn't get that from the first two verses or clauses there. 
Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. That word keeps is shomer. Shomer. What kind of a word is shomer, Daniel? A participle. Continuing action. Keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Why does God care so much about this Sabbath? What is it? It's the sign that we worship the true and living God. What day did the sun god worshipers worship on to show that they worship the sun god? Sunday. Hmm. Food for thought. And I'll fast my covenant. Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain. What's a mountain in prophecy? A kingdom. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. What's that? That's the temple. Oh my. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. How many times in the last month have you heard the third temple that's about to be built described by the people in Israel as it's going to be a house of prayer for all nations? The Lord God, it's actually my Lord, the Lord, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. The idea of being the Lord's servant, I guess, is distasteful to us because we remember the evils of slavery. Does God abuse his servants? No. How does Satan treat those who follow him? Very badly, huh? So why would anyone want to serve Satan over God? Because they get deceived, they believe the lie. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And nope, it's not for verse 4 this time. It's for verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Yeshua said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The one you obey is the one whom you worship. The one whom you serve. Close your eyes. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God said don't eat from the tree. Satan said eat from the tree. And who did they obey? Satan. And that caused the fall of mankind. Does it matter who we obey? Does it matter who we serve? The answer is yes. And we're to serve the Lord our God by loving him with all our heart, soul, and strength. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 10. Paul even said, you're that one's servants whom you obey. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 16, isn't it? And it's only two choices, God or, it doesn't matter who the or is. 
Oh, but you're just being legalistic. Deuteronomy 10. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I would call it faithful. <laughs> Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Deuteronomy 13. Why does it sound like God tells us the same thing over and over and over again? Because he tells us the same thing over and over again. Why does he do that? Does he really think we'll forget? He knows we're going to forget. He doesn't call us his adults. He calls us his children. Well put. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Why does it say him so many times? Nobody else. Joshua. Yes, ma'am. What does it mean to fear him? What does it mean to fear him? It means to realize that if you are his enemy, he is going to cast you into the lake of fire. So treat him with awe and reverence, the reverence and awe that he deserves. Does it say in the scripture? Well, it does. Okay, Joshua 24. It says lots of things in scripture, doesn't it? Joshua comes before judges. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. To realize that the Lord has the power of life and death. And has told us the wages of sin is death should encourage us to serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And then do you see the exclamation mark? It kind of is. <laughs> but he's right. There's no punctuation marks in Hebrew. But it means that serve is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. So everyone will serve someone or something. Either you will serve the Lord or you will serve someone or something else. You must make a conscious choice. Can't we just be neutral? Where in the scripture does it say we can't be neutral? Don't think of Laodicea because that would be a good example, but it's not the one I'm thinking of. Turn to the book of John. Yeah, the church of Laodicea is a good example. But John 3.18 tells us there is no middle ground. Well, even Moses told 
Even Moses said, choose you today who you'll serve. Life or death, choose life. Joshua said, Joshua said the same thing. He said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So to not choose faith in the Lord is to choose against. There is no middle ground. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 14. Verse Samuel 12, verse 14. The people demanded a king. God said, okay. They chose Saul. God said, okay. But he told them what? But you're not going to like it. 1 Samuel 12, 14. This is a message to Saul. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. So he tells them, okay, you wanted a king, here he is. But you must still continue to fear the Lord and obey his voice. And if you do, it will be good for you. And if you don't, you're going to see the hand of the Lord against you, not for you. And what happened? 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. God says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And what did Saul do? When God commanded to destroy the Amalekites, he did what? He disobeyed. He disobeyed. And then, where the scripture says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, he goes to the witch of Endor to conjure up the soul of Samuel. And he really did conjure up Samuel, the witch did. You know that, because Samuel rebuked Saul and said, I taught you better than that, son. And because he disobeyed God with the Amalekites, Jonathan, his son, was not going to get to rule after him. But when he went to the witch of Endor, God took his very life. If the king gets punished for disobeying the Lord, then who can escape the Lord's judgment? No one. Go to Psalm 2. I love Psalm 2. It really is one of my favorite psalms. Before bringing the hammer of wrath down upon the nations, God calls upon them to repent. Always he calls for repentance before judgment is pronounced. So in verse 10 it says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is last days. This is right before the battle of Armageddon. And God gives the nations one more chance to repent, to turn back to God, to serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, and accept Messiah as king. Or else. And what will the nations do? They'll take the or else. They must like their flesh melting off their bones. It's a kind of a neat scene in that movie, isn't it? Pretty disgusting, yeah. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 14 and 15, you really can't separate, so let's read them together. After telling us over and over again, serve the Lord, fear him, obey him, love him, here's the or else. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. There was somebody that I talked to just yesterday who said all she keeps hearing from the pastors is there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Meaning that if you've walked down the aisle and made a profession of faith, you can do all the sins you want and God will never bring it up. He'll never hold you accountable. Is that what the scripture says? See, they're taking that scripture from Romans 8. That's a scripture from Romans 8. says, who do not walk according to the flesh. They forget that there's more to the verse. But according to the spirit. How often do we put a period where there's not a period? Lots of places. Another pastor recently told me, Wayne, God is love. No one will get cast in a lake of fire because God is love. He loves everybody. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care if you're a Muslim, a Hindu, a rapist, a murderer. God loves everybody. He would never punish anybody. Is that what your Bible says? It's not what my Bible says. It kind of was what his Bible said, but his wasn't a Bible. It was a paraphrase. Hmm. Meaning instead of telling you what the Lord said, it's telling you what they want you to think the Lord said. And that's not a good thing. Was it the message? I think it might have been. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Yes, God is love. It says that. Right when it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But in Exodus chapter 20, God says he has many names. And one of those is jealous. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Is that not what we just read in Deuteronomy 6? For the Lord your God is a jealous God. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, that's of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So if you turn to pagan idols, God doesn't say, my name is love. He says, my name is jealous. Let's go to Exodus chapter 34. You're taking away most of what God says when he says, I will be whom I will be. Whom does God show his love to? Those who love him and obey him. Is that clear in the scripture? He even says that. It's very clear. How many verses could we find that say that same thing? Ten? A bunch. Okay. Exodus 34, verses 13 to 15. But you shall destroy their altars. That's the pagan altars. Break their sacred pillars. And cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous. Is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they play the harlot with their gods. And make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you. And you eat of his sacrifice oh how many people tell me Wayne Paul says the New Testament we can eat food sacrificed to idols no he does not in Revelation twice the Lord says what about those who eat food sacrificed to idols repent or else when you eat of the sacrifice you're participating in the pagan worship you didn't have to bow down. You didn't have to do the sacrifice. You eat of the sacrifice. You're participating in the pagan worship. And God says, my name is Jealous. In verse 14. Deuteronomy 4. Hey, we've already read Deuteronomy 4. Yeah, but it's so long ago we forget, huh? Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, comma, a jealous God. Now we know what he means by jealous. A consuming fire? Is that the way you want to meet God on Judgment Day? That's not the way I want to meet God on Judgment Day. Deuteronomy 32. Uh, yep, verse 30, chapter 32, verse 15. This is from the Song of Moses. Does the scripture say in Revelation we're going to sing this to the Lord in all eternity? It does, which means it's still very much applicable. Chapter 32, verse 15, it tells us when Israel turned away. But Jeshurun, that's Israel, grew fat. What's it mean, grew fat? They got comfortable and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you're obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed 
the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. Does the New Testament say the same thing? When you sacrifice to idols, you're actually sacrificing to demons? How did Moses know that? Yeah, a little bit of insight, didn't he? Also, Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. They provoke me to jealousy by what is not God. That's referring to the pagan idols. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I'll move them to anger by a foolish nation. God says you're going to get cast into captivity to nations you did not know. Why? Because they move me to anger with their foolish idols. Why they do that? Look at the last two words of verse 20. Because they have what? No faith. If you have faith in God, will you follow the pagan idols? You will not. By the way, people keep telling me, Wayne, you've got to quit using the phrase pagan idols. It's redundant. Yeah, maybe so, but I still like it. Joshua 24. They're not godly idols, no. Joshua 24. They say nobody knows what pagan means. Yeah, I think we know what it means. It means it's not of God, right? <laughs> Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 25. You don't think people realize how serious it is? What we call these holidays that seem, what was that word? Innocent. But they're really just pagan rituals dressed up. Yeah. In school, you're right smack dab in the middle of the season. I read several different dictionaries this week looking at the terms Christmas tree and Easter eggs to see how many of them said pre-Christian traditions. And they all did. If it's pre-Christian it's not from Judaism, what's your alternative? Yeah, Joshua 24, beginning verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But then I'm going on. We read that one verse before. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. That is, if you don't think serving the Lord's right. says, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Joshua says, if you want to serve the Lord, choose which God. You know, how about Moloch, Baal, Ishtar? Which one do you want? Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in, the land whose, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, look at their answer. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. You see that? That is not what the Hebrew says. So if you have not fixed it, I want you to fix it. Where it says you cannot serve, it's not cannot. It says you will not be able to. So I want you to make that correction. You will not be able to. Why will they not be able to? You will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. Meaning what? You refuse to be holy. You refuse to renounce the gods of the foreign lands. You refuse to renounce the sexual immorality and the other sins that have a hold of you. Says he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, your witness is against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Don't miss the significance of that. They said, we've heard what you said, Joshua. We will serve the Lord. We will serve no other. And he says, you are your own witnesses. And they say, we are witnesses, meaning, yes, we agree. If, if we turn away from the Lord, then we deserve the condemnation that will follow. Verse 23, now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why would he tell them to put away the foreign gods which are among you? Because they have foreign gods among them. They're just saying, we will worship the Lord and him only. He's saying, well, then get the idols out of your pocket. They're probably standing there holding, holding them, petting them. I don't know. Take them off the windshield. Do you think they really knew what they were saying when they said we are witnesses? Yeah, I think they really did. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. These are the last words of Joshua. He dies, but before he dies, he wants to make sure that people understand. They have witnessed against themselves that if they turn away from the Lord God, then he will turn and do them harm and consume them. And they say, okay, we take it upon ourselves. And then what do they do? Then they turn away from God. The very next generation. The very next generation. Uh, okay. That's applicable to Gentile nations also. Remember in Jeremiah, God casts curses and judgment upon every nation for the very same reason they're judging Israel. That the nations have turned away from God and his commandments. Think about the message that Jonah had to send to Nineveh. Think about the message Jonah had to send to Nineveh. Wasn't that a city of Jews? 
No, it was not. But what was the message? Repent. Or, or else. else. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? Were they Jews? No. They got destroyed. Why? Because of their sin. Because of their lawlessness. Was that before Exodus 20? Long before. And yet God destroyed them for their lawlessness. Same with the Amorites. When their lawlessness is full. Why does the Bible keep using the word iniquity? Because people don't know what that means. They don't know what lawlessness is. If they say lawlessness, we ought to know what that one means. <laughs> Should. Okay. Back to Deuteronomy chapter six. Oops, I got three red question three red marks out here. Let's see. Oh. Yeah, someone makes a comment that. Look at how many churches in the area have decorated for Halloween. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then somebody responds, their local church is having a fall festival on Halloween. Yep, okay. Trunk or treat, the Lord. Trunk or treat, yep. But isn't Halloween a godly celebration? Some no. Claim it is. I, I used to read... Children think so. I used to read an article from the head of the Wiccan organization who says, would you Christians stop abusing our holiday? <laughs> okay, never mind that. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as, he, as you tempted him in Massah. Scripture says God cannot be tempted. So what this word should read is you shall not test the Lord your God. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Messiah quotes this verse. Matthew chapter 4. I wonder who he quotes it to. The devil? Yeah, you got that one right. Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. We'll start in verse 5 to see what the devil throws at Messiah to get him to respond this way. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. Is that New York? No, that's Jerusalem. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written. Wait a minute. What's Satan about to quote? Scripture. Scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Does the Bible say that? Yes. If Messiah threw himself down, would God have honored it? Yes, but then he would have been listening to whom? Satan. Yeshua said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Even in my Bible, they've got a little note that says it's not tempt, it's test. Yeah. In the if they put their notes. Yeah. Okay. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. So even Satan knows that the, the Psalms and Scriptures are about Messiah. Even Satan knows that the Psalms and Scriptures are about Messiah. Shame some people aren't as bright, huh? Exodus 17 verses 1 to 7. This is the testing to which they refer in Deuteronomy. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. 
and the word they use here will be, we'll find out. Then all the congregation, the children of Israel went out, set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. It's not sin like sin, okay. According to the commandment of the Lord, encamped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to me, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? It should be, Why do you test the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What are they saying? That it wasn't God who brought us up? You did it. You owe us. You give us the water. So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah. Hmm. What does that mean? Hmm. Literally tested. Because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted, and again my Bible has a note that says, no, it's really tested. The Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Hmm. So there are religious organizations in this country. Scripture says if you get bitten by a snake, it's not going to hurt you. Whether that's meant for you and I is open for debate. But there are whole churches who go around and play with poisonous snakes. Are they testing the Lord? Does the scripture say, do not test the Lord? And they have gotten lots of people bit who died, right? Scripture says, don't test the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. I want to look up that Hebrew. Because one thing I've noticed is that whenever they use the word diligently, and here they're usually wrong. Deuteronomy 6, verse 17. Let me look at the Hebrew. Aha. It says, Shamor Tishmarun. It doesn't say, you shall diligently keep. It says, you shall surely keep. Yeah, keeping you shall keep. It's called an infinitive of emphasis. You shall surely keep. Meaning, it's not open for debate. It's not a discussion. You shall surely keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimony and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. How do we know what's right and good? He told us in his commandments, testimonies, and statutes that, here's the benefit for doing what is right, that it may be well with you, 
and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. How many times does he tell us that the commandments are for our good? They're for our benefit. They're not to show us who's boss. It's so that he can bless us. And verses 20 to 25 answer the question, why should we obey? Why should we? So let's read it, verses 20 to 25. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? But which of the words are in italics? Is the meaning of, just strike that out, because that's not the question. The question is, what are they? What are they? Which ones are really important? Which commandments should we keep? What, what are they? Verse 21. You shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. Which ones? All. To fear the Lord our God for our good. What's that next word? Always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So they answer the question two ways. Which commandments? All of them. Why? Why should we do it? For our good. Always. Which commandment did God give us to hurt us? None. Which did he give us to help us? Oh. Somebody says, I heard, but I don't know if it's true, that the pilgrims who first came over to the new land, such America, celebrated tabernacles with the Indians. Yes, that's true. It was about giving thanks to God for the harvest, which became Thanksgiving Day today. Yes, that's true. It was not originally in November. It was moved to November later so that it wouldn't look like we were celebrating tabernacles. Yeah, that is true, Mary Lou. Or whoever said it. Okay. Verse 24. Yes, Daniel. It says, always for our good, always. It literally is for our good all of the days. Yes, and that's something that I will point out now. Is that word always... It's not the only place. Many times in scripture when they put always, it literally says all of what? The days. The days. Like it's going to be forever. But it means each and every day. Not just a general sometime in the future, but each and every day. It is for our good to obey the Lord. And it will be righteousness for us. Because why do we keep the commandments of God? It's because we what? Love him. Love him. We do it out of faith. 
Is there any other reason to do it? The answer is no. Verse 24, for our good. And verse 25, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments. That's not what the Hebrew says. It says all this commandment. These commandments make it sound plural. This commandment referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. We may look at them as separate commandments, statutes, and judgments. God looks at it as a whole. You follow me or you don't. Who was it that said, if you fall short in even just one point? That's in the book of James. Let's go up to the book of James. You know, it's funny, even the word observe, like it makes it sound like you're just casually thinking about it. The word observe kind of looks like look at, doesn't it? But it doesn't mean observe, it's do. You're absolutely right, it's do. Yes, ma'am. You think uh, these to this, so that should mean that it should be just commandment? Yes, this singular. commandment commandment is singular. Thank you. Yep. As opposed to these commandments. Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For you said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. What's James trying to say? The commandments are a unity. Take them all or take them none. But there is no point whatsoever in taking part of them and rejecting the others. It goes on in verse 12 to say, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? That's the Torah. Look at James chapter 1 verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one would be blessed in what he does. Of course, you'll read lots of commentaries out there that says, ooh, the law of liberty, that's something good, so it can't be the Torah. It must be something else. But no. God gave us the Torah to make us free for our own benefit. And doesn't that fit right with what Paul said in Romans? Chapter 6. You're either a slave of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. If you follow the law of liberty, you're free from the curse of the law, which is death. Yeah. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess. That is when God keeps his part of the bargain. 
and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. To what does Moses refer here? All the ites that God promised in Genesis 15 to drive out. So let's go back to Genesis 15. I know we were there before. But to put it in your notes here, this is where God promised to drive out those ites. He said they're a lot bigger and meaner than you are. That's true. Genesis chapter 15, 18 to 21. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Avram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Oh, by the way, if you've seen the news this morning, the great river Euphrates is now the mighty trickle Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Yes, if you watch the news, the Euphrates is now a trickle, which is a problem for three reasons. One is the major source of drinking water throughout that desert region of the Middle East. Number two, it's the major source for irrigating the croplands so that they will grow things in the Middle East. And number three, it's what generates almost all the electricity in that area. So there are people, they say now, that have blackouts with no power. I think they said 19 hours a day. It started just a couple hours a day. Now it's about 19 hours a day. No electricity. They better go solar. Great thing to be Okay, okay. Go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Joshua 3, 10. If they went solar, what would God do with the sun? <laughs> He'd block it out. Joshua 3, 10. Remember, we're recording. <laughs> Joshua 3.10. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. Here's the proof. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. What happened when the Levites carrying the ark put their first feet into the Jordan River? It split in two. Yes? Um, I had noticed this earlier in our study today. Uh, the Genesis 15 that we just reread. It lists ten tribes. And then in Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 it says seven um, is there some underlying meaning of that? Uh, also, I think of uh, what's in the book of Revelation. It talks about, I won't be able to say this. Uh, uh, ten goes to like. seven. You see that in Daniel 2. So give me the first scripture you said that has the ten nations. Yes, there's the Genesis 15, which you just read, and then you'd also mentioned it earlier in the study today. Mm -hmm. So right, Genesis then, 15. Two. Then 7 verse 1 where it mentions just the 7 nations. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, think that, thought that was kind of interesting because I know somewhere in Revelation it talks about, you know, where three, there will be ten uh, nation, nations. Yeah. And three of, you know where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Can you help me understand that a little bit better, please? If I'm looking. I'm looking. Okay, thank you. Seven. So who is it that's omitted from the one list that's included in the others? Um, the best I can say at the moment, and I'll have to look at this a little further. If you remember, Israel made a covenant with some of the nations that God was to drive out. And God then could not drive them out. Because they made a covenant on the name of God that they would allow these people to remain in the land. That's probably describing the three that remain. And is it like in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, false Messiah's kingdom starts with ten kings and three get uprooted? It certainly is an interesting coincidence if it's not teaching us something about it. Yes, sir. Okay. By the way. Yes, ma'am. Mm, no, I don't think so. Because the Amorites are in both co both categories, both lists. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yep. Joshua twenty four. It was the KKK that he left out in the second list. The Kenites. I can't remember. They're all K's. K, K, K. They were the ones, and I think maybe they were combined into one with the group that you said made the covenant with yeah. Israel. I think that was it. Yeah, they pretended to come from far, far away, but they were actually within the land. And God then wouldn't drive them out after Israel made a covenant of peace with them. But some of the Canaanites became, uh, became Israel, Israelites. The yeah, they get grafted in. Uh, can you think of one? Caleb. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite. Yep. Good. Joshua 24.11. Then you came over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I deliver them into your hand. And he describes using the hornets, which we discussed earlier. Nehemiah chapter 9. While I'm turning. 1 Samuel 15, 6 um, talks about the Kenites, that Saul couldn't um, destroy them because they showed kindness to all the children of Israel. Good. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 6. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness to all the children of Israel, and they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. That's right. And those nations that Israel made a covenant with, that God said, don't make a covenant with them, if you remember, they become servants to the temple. They become woodcutters and water carriers. and the Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 8. 
We'll start in verse 7 for context. You are the Lord God who chose Avram, that's Abraham before he changed his name, brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. That's the seven. To give it to his descendants, you have performed your words, for you are righteous. Why wouldn't God drive out a nation after Israel made a covenant of peace on the name of God? Because he would be then breaking an oath done in his own name, and he won't do that. Acts chapter 13, verse 19. Acts chapter 13, verse 19 also confirms, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. So back to chapter 7, verse 2. We've just said a few times that Israel made a covenant with people that God said, no, no, no. Here's where he says, no, no, no. And he tells them why. It says in verse 2, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show them mercy. No covenant or mercy. Why? Because they'll turn your heart away. They'll turn your heart away. They will lead you to their pagan idols. So it's not that God's mean. It's that he's trying to protect the children of Israel. Hmm. As his children. Verse 3. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter for your son. What's wrong with intermarrying with these pagans? Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. How many of you believe or think that we're going to find out this is about King Solomon? Yep. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 3. God said if the children of Israel would be faithful to him, he would protect them from their enemies. But Solomon said, yeah, but if I just marry all their daughters, then they can't attack. We don't need God's help. We'll do it ourselves. How'd that work out for him? 1 Kings 11.3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives, what? Turned away his heart. For it was so, and Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. So that's why the Lord said, don't make any covenants with them. Don't intermarry with them. They will lead your heart astray. And when Israel didn't listen, what happened? They got led into idolatry. Big time. And what did it cost them? Everything. Only everything. Back to chapter 7. Verse 4. Begins with 4. Here's the reason the Lord gives. 
for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Is that what happened? That's what happened. Did God tell them before they ever went into the land? He told them before they ever went into the land. Did they listen? They did not. Did God keep his word and send him into captivity? He most certainly did. Verse 5. But this, but thus you shall deal with them. This is how you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars. Break down their sacred pillars. Cut down their wooden images. Do you have a little asterisk in your Bible? You should. The Hebrew there is asherim. The asherim were the evergreen trees under which they worshipped foreign gods. They would even do such things as cut them down and bring them into the house and put them on a base so they wouldn't topple and decorate them with silver and gold. If you read about archaeology in Israel, it hasn't been too long since they found in an excavation site some of these asherim in the homes on the bases decorated with silver and gold balls. And burn their carved images with fire. So what does it say? Destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. What does it not say? Take them and worship God with them. It doesn't say that at all. Does God say anywhere, don't you use those things to worship me? Give me a place. Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12, he tells us repeatedly. So verses 1 through 4. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And yet theologians of today say, yeah, yeah, Christmas trees were originally pagan. We know that, but that's not what we use them for now. We use them to worship God. But what did he say? Don't do it. Hmm. So also at Exodus chapter 34, verse 13. Exodus chapter 34, verse 13. How many of you have gone into a church in December and seen Christmas trees up on the stage? Yeah. Yeah. Exodus 34, we'll start in verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hivite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. It's all them people. 
Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. You shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Does it look like, or you could just use them to worship me, take your pick. It does not. So, we've run out of time for today. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6.